mini-episode 1374 of the FDH Lounge is brought to you by Sportsology, delivering unconventional columns and webcasts about sports, TV, music, movies, and more. Follow them on the web at sportsology.com. The FDH Lounge. You want to schedule your life around it. A long time ago, on a gloomy, wet Cleveland spring night, two men stand alone amidst the late-night drizzle. Their voices echo across the vacant station parking lot as they debate the merits of the great American radio show that have been missing for far too long. On that night, an idea was born. That idea became the FDH Lounge. Welcome to the FDH Lounge. Hello, everyone. Welcome to FDH Lounge Mini Episode 1374. This is FDH Managing Partner Rick Morris, and it is time once again to get to our 2021 NCAA football preview. And for the last several seasons, we have been fortunate enough to do this with a good friend of the show, of course, from our Sports Central and other fine outlooks that he writes for Franz Stuckberry and also a member of the FDH Lounge family as an FDH Lounge dignitary now, and uh, we are very happy, as always, to bring him on. We had him on some weeks ago just because 2021 was a monumental summer in college sports, and uh, especially college football with some of the ramifications of conference realignment, players now getting paid, and uh, some of the many different issues that uh, are going on. So we took a big picture look at some of those issues. I'm sure some of those issues are going to creep into our discussion of this season as well, because uh, it, it's just uh, there's no separating the landscape that we're going through. And of course, that includes, unfortunately, the COVID-19 resurgence. There's no separating that from what we're talking about on what should be uh, hopefully an excellent season of college football and hopefully in many ways at least much more closer to normal than it was last season, although with the uh, the Delta spread, we shall see. But as always, a pleasure to get on the show, Fran Stuckberry. Fran, my friend, great to have you back on. How you doing today, buddy? Doing good. Um, I enjoyed week zero. A little bit of got a little bit of flavor before the before the before the main course happens next week. Yes, uh, let's talk about that. Uh, always some interesting games right off the bat here, and of course. The marquee one uh, out there, and this this wouldn't have been a marquee game any other week, but just basically in terms of what it was being compared to as far as what else was on the schedule, Illinois and Nebraska. Illinois for many years now, a, a downtrodden program through one coach after another. Uh, Nebraska not supposed to be in the same boat here. Scott Frost coming in, hometown hero, going to come save the program, had been successful elsewhere. And this is one of these things where, I'm really starting to question myself, Fran, as far as my ability to uh, assess some of these new hires, because this has happened a couple times previously. Jim Harbaugh at Michigan, I came in and I've been an Ohio State fan all my life because my dad's an alum. So I'm like, "Uh uh-oh, it's about to get real now. Harbaugh's coming to Michigan. Not so much, but this has been even worse. This has been a Nebraska program that was really down and out when he got there and is still down and out at this point. So I'm just starting to wonder, you know, is there anybody you can believe in uh, when they get hired to come back to an alma mater, even if they've been successful elsewhere? Well, well I think maybe maybe he's too loyal to Adrian, Adrian Martinez because he's made, he's made so many mistakes the past couple of years. I mean, it's, I mean, fumbling the, the ball, scoop the score, and then you had the, um, the guy, um, you know, safety. I mean, and then you have um, a kicker that's supposed to be one of the best kickers in the Big Ten missed two extra points. So it's just, yeah. It's just typical Nebraska. They find ways to lose, right? They, they do. Find ways to lose. 
They do, but even if he wanted to make a move at quarterback, I mean, that depth chart doesn't strike me as being exceptionally deep, so in terms of what his options are. And actually, and that goes to sort of a big-picture concern right there at the school because, again, recruiting athletes to Nebraska, that has been a difficult uh, thing to do since the time of, I will say, Frank Solich, my guy, longtime Ohio University coach, uh, but uh, the, the Osborne-Solich years, you could still get great players coming to Nebraska. Since then, not so much. Uh, Frost was supposed to be part of the answer to that conundrum. And, uh, yeah, I mean, the, the roster doesn't look appreciably better at this point than what he inherited. Also, you have new, you have new um, AD with Trev Alberts. So, usually when selectors come in, Rick, um, they tend to want to – Either they, they tend to want to bring bring in a better coach, or or um, the current coach has to produce, or he is gone. Because, he, because um now he's now um uh, Scott Frost is eleven and twenty one so far. I mean um, four seasons in Nebraska. So if, if they get to if they get to like a six or six seven and five, they, I can see them giving one more year. But if they don't get to a bowl game, I I, I see them pulling the plug on him. Yeah, I believe the same, and I think it's going to be uh, a very, very difficult issue for them to confront because, again, it gets to the issue of much like at Michigan, right? How are you going to upgrade on Harbaugh? Who's going to come there and take that job and be a demonstrable upgrade? And at Nebraska, it's the same thing, largely because of the recruiting issues there. So, yeah, I was a little bit uh, surprised just because, uh, again, I keep expecting things to turn around uh, at Nebraska, and again, Frost is a smart guy. It's how he got the job in the first place, and uh, you know, it's just a really, really uh, puzzling kind of an issue. I don't follow the program on a micro level, uh, so beyond any of the things you're talking about, I don't really know what his issues are uh, because you wouldn't think it would be a thing of uh, avoiding stupid mistakes and that kind of stuff because uh, that had not been a problem for him in his previous stops, but all of a sudden it is. An issue there. Uh, anything else from uh, Week Zero that really kind of grabbed you? Well, you still like getting off to a good start of Florida victory against the against Y because it gives them a little game practice and and and, and play time before they play home against LSU next week. Yeah, and that is uh, going to be a very interesting game to watch and uh, a very very important uh, game in the Chip Kelly history at UCLA. And, uh, yeah, as, as week one uh, comes up, uh, let's just start there before we start delving into the conferences because it is going to be a tremendous, tremendous slate of games, as it always is. And uh, I want to say, in Fantasy Football Draftology 2021, available on the main page at FantasyDraftHelp.com and the FDHLounge.com, of course, we have some non-fantasy content in there as well. You go to pages 15 and 16, we're talking about the NCAA season, we have a list of the top games of the season in our estimation. Number one on the list, number one with a bullet, Clemson v. Georgia at Charlotte, September 4th. And, of course, that is one of many good games Labor Day weekend, Fran. Yeah, that's, that's going to be a great game. Uh, you could, and the thing is, the loser of the, uh, that game, Rick, probably still has a good chance to make, make the playoffs. Yes, Although the thing is, though, with uh, Georgia, every year is seemingly they're going to have to get past uh, Alabama in the uh, conference championship game. So it does raise the question, if they can't beat Clemson, how are they going to beat Alabama? It's possible. I mean, they could do that. But uh, Georgia loses all margin for error uh, if they don't win the game. And uh, for Clemson, I'm not sure that the conference schedule is going to be impressive enough 
to really help them in the end there. So Clemson at least probably becomes a bubble team if they lose the game. Uh, Georgia, if they run the, the, the table, I agree with you, would still make it, but no margin of error for either team if they lose. Oh, that's definitely true. I, was gonna, I, I definitely agree with that, Rick. It's going to be it's gonna be a fun game to watch. I, I'm not, I mean, a lot of people are very high on Georgia this year, but they always disappoint, Rick. They always disappoint. Yeah, and that's where it's really interesting that the Kirby Smart uh, time at uh, Georgia, the way that it started out and what it's settled into is it's almost like a Mark Richt times 110%. I mean, it's it's like it's a better version of the Mark Richt era the last couple of years. But And I, I, I like Mark Richt as a coach. I like him as a person. I don't really mean to, to pile on him, but those Georgia teams over the years, and that was part of the reason he ended up having to move on, right? There was a real sense that they were underachieving as a program, and they've settled into a niche now, it seems like, where they're better than they were then, but that tag seems to still apply. It definitely, definitely does. It's just, until, they, until they do it, Rick, uh, I'm not going to pick them. Uh, God proves to me that they can do it before I have any faith in them. I would agree, and uh, in, in looking at it, yeah, I mean, again, part of the reason that they really seem to be uh, having a little bit of a, a reputation, deservedly so, as underachievers, since they haven't been able to uh, get, uh, slay the beast of Alabama in the conference, is that, uh, again, the talent level, the recruiting is even better than it was under Rick, because Smart is an elite-level recruiter, but uh, they're still not at that point. At the end of the day, in the SEC, looking at that here, I do still see, once again, Alabama and Georgia leading their respective divisions at the end of the year. So I've got Alabama over Georgia again in the SEC championship game. I do think Texas A&M, LSU are, are really going to push Alabama to a degree. A&M more than they have uh, since the start of the Jimbo Fisher era. Uh, I think uh, Auburn, uh, with a new coach, uh, has a chance to make a little bit of noise, but I've, I've got them behind A&M and LSU. Uh, in the East, I really think it's going to be interesting because I think Florida and Kentucky are going to be right there neck and neck with Georgia and making it interesting in the East Division. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. And, and it seems like uh, Ole Miss and Mississippi State with their coach, Lane Kiffin, and Mike Leach are still are going to be still are going to be fun and exciting to watch. They may not win they may not win a lot of games, but they'll be fun to watch. I agree, and to an extent, you could lump Arkansas in there in the West Division as well. Uh, that uh, this this program uh, under the new direction they've been under for the last year or so, same thing. Uh, I, I don't look for anything great for them on the scoreboard or in the standings in the SEC West this year. But as far as the non-conference games and as far as being competitive in the games they lose, I do expect Arkansas to be a step up from what they've been over the last twenty years or so. Yeah, that's going to be. Uh, yeah, Arkansas will be. Arkansas will be, will be improved because they they played they play, they played some pretty good games last year. And and their coach, uh, I like I love his passion when when, when they. On sidelines you know, against against big matchups. Yeah, it's uh, it, better days maybe ahead for Arkansas, but uh, they need to pray that there's some serious realignment coming when they uh, step up in the number of teams here. Maybe they can get out of the division with Alabama and LSU and get into something else. Uh, if there's the four team pods coming uh, in in the East Division, uh, I have to say that uh, as a Tennessee fan, I always keep hoping for better times here. And we we're talking about Smart being somebody that came 
from Saban's staff and uh, very good in the recruiting. That had been the same with uh, Jeremy Pruitt at Tennessee, but that era has abruptly come to an end uh, with uh, the scandal in the program there. Just the, the most recent uh, bump in the road for a dormant college power that looks like it's going to, unfortunately, from my perspective, be dormant yet another year. Yeah, it's going to take a while. I mean, but I hope to give them at least four years before they – because they got they to gotta gotta really give a coach – uh, a commitment uh, to, to build the program, Rick. They do, and uh, it does seem like there's going to be stability here as far as alignment between coach and athletic director, so there is that, but uh, it, it doesn't look like it's going to be uh, a great year for Tennessee yet again. Uh, right on the uh, doorstep geographically of the SEC, uh, the ACC, uh, your Backyard, Fran, as you get to watch a decent amount of football right there up close uh, in, in the triangle area. Uh, you've got, uh, obviously, uh, I think me and everybody else in America is picking Clemson as the winner of the Atlantic Division. Uh, but with North Carolina State and uh, Louisville, I think, pushing them a little bit. I look for Florida State to have a little better of a year than they've done recently. I do have uh, North Carolina winning the Coastal Division, as I'm sure a lot of people do this year. North Carolina, Miami, and to an extent, Pittsburgh. Uh, that could be a little bit uh, competitive in the, the coastal, but how do you see the ACC shaping up? One thing is, um, I'm glad you, you didn't ask you um, to say the last name of the Clemson's quarterback. You, you may be the only person that knows how to start, right? <laughs> yeah, very possibly, yeah. And uh, it, it's not well, often that they, they have to make a big transition like that, but uh, but here we are. One thing is, um, I mean, those uh, Carolina, they're playing Virginia Tech at home this next this weekend and that game's going to determine the path if they, if they stumble that I mean the hype they have and um, people will be very upset yeah they will it will really derail the preseason hype and uh, Virginia Tech I see as being sort of a, a middle of the pack team in the coastal division so that will be something that will be very much worth watching and uh, yeah it's the, the, the story of the ACC over the last uh, almost decade here has really been, really ever since Jimbo Fisher left Florida State, and, and, and even before he left, I think Clemson had really kind of passed them by, but it's been more decisive now as far as passing them by. It's been Clemson, and it's been everybody else. In terms of Florida State, uh, again, I don't think anybody expects that this is the year that that rivalry reawakens and that they become a serious contender to uh, to beat uh, Clemson. But uh, how do you see the Florida State program uh, stepping up this year in, in a year that uh, many around there are citing as a cause for at least relative optimism? One thing is they have a national spotlight um, with, uh, with with Notre Dame um, that, that Sunday. So mm-hmm. I don't think they're going to beat Notre Dame, but I think it'll be close. I think it'll be a close game. Yeah, I agree with you. And uh, Notre Dame, yes, uh, of course, uh, during the 2020 pandemic season, uh, a little bit of a novelty here, spending a year inside the ACC. And, uh, of course, uh, they're back as far as being an independent this year and just having their arm's length relationship with the ACC playing a number of regular season games. I will say this, that uh, as far as it goes with them, when I look at the list of uh, top games of the season, the list that we had made in Fantasy Football Draftology 2021, uh, Notre Dame comes up on there a couple of different times, hosting USC on October 23rd. I have that rated as the sixth best game of the season. Fifth best game, uh, Cincinnati at Notre Dame, October 5th. And the eighth best game of the season, Notre Dame versus Wisconsin at Chicago, September 25th. So for Notre Dame, 
uh, a quasi, not, not a member of the ACC, but an affiliated team, shall we say. Uh, they're one of these teams at the end of the year here where if it comes down to strength of schedule for one of these bubble playoff spots, Notre Dame's going to have a better leg to stand on than a lot of teams are. Well, some, some, some of the experts think that they'll sneak in if they have like nine less. Yeah, and uh, their, their recent record in the playoff, I think, may work against them. Uh, you know, as far as uh, perceptions, but uh, yeah, it, that's not supposed to be taken into account. It's just supposed to be what happens on the field during a given year, and if that is the case, Notre Dame is going to fare pretty well because, uh, again, to, if you can get through that schedule with only one loss, you should be pretty good. If you can get through that with no losses, of course, they will be in. And uh, mentioned Wisconsin, that's a team in the Big Ten here that uh, I have being a strong contender in the Western Division. Ultimately, I have Iowa getting past them, but Iowa, Wisconsin, uh, Minnesota, that is uh, an interesting mix at the top of the Western Division. I had had Nebraska slotted in fourth place, but that was before this past weekend here. Clearly, I was still way too high on them. In the East, and really in the conference writ large, it's Ohio State and everybody else at this point here. I've got Indiana, Penn State, Michigan coming up behind them, Michigan State, uh, then uh, following by. So uh, much like with the ACC, you have one team standing astride and everyone really uh, fighting to establish themselves as a legitimate second-place team in the conference, but in the ACC, it seems like there is no established second-place team. Looks like a much better year than usual for Indiana as far as where the state of their program, but Indiana, Iowa in the other division, Wisconsin in the other division, none of them at this point on the same tier as Ohio State, obviously. Well, the thing is, right behind the place, Cincinnati done this season, so that, that could be a, a game where hopefully Cincinnati doesn't, doesn't sleep on them because Cincinnati needs that game if they want to you know, and they need to win that game and beat Notre Dame if they have any chance to get in the top four. That's later in the program. Oh, absolutely. And uh, in, in the Big Ten, and, and there's a sense now that, uh, and this is all in a, in a relative sense, that uh, Michigan might have a little better chance against Ohio State than at least the last two times out for Jim Harbaugh. But uh, that's a program that, again, uh, I think they have taken the pragmatic view at this point that uh, they've been – as much as they've been Ohio State's whipping boy in the rivalry the last 20 years, and it, it's oddly enough has accelerated under Harbaugh, which I don't think anybody expected, the whole sense that it's it's a long-term proposition to try to turn it around at Michigan, and that you're better off with Harbaugh as opposed to anybody else that you can get there. And uh, it's not a popular assessment in the Michigan program, I think not least of which because Harbaugh is such a stubborn kind of a guy, and there's not necessarily the sense that he might be open to the type of growth and uh, experimentation that it might take to get past Ohio State. But uh, how do you see things going for Michigan this year in a year where, like I said, relatively speaking, they seem to have a little more optimism than the last couple of years? One biggest problem, Rick, is that they have yet to find an elite quarterback. Yes. Uh, they, they have yet to find that guy. And, that, and he's a recruiter. I mean, he, he, he's... He's had good quarterbacks with everywhere he's everywhere he's coached, and it makes no sense that, that they can't find a, uh, an elite quarterback. It makes no sense, Rick. All the recruiting and all their you know facilities makes no sense at all, Rick. It's really really weird, and uh, yeah, I, I agree with you. It's not going to happen uh, for them until they do. I mean, a program like Ohio State, uh, if anything, the issue the last couple of years uh, has been. Uh, you can never have too many. I don't want to say too many of them, but a number of them. you, you got a couple of five-star guys on the roster right now at Ohio State. 
Uh, so, uh, yeah, I mean, if, if Michigan could just uh, live off the Ohio State surplus, uh, it'd be a lot easier. But uh, unfortunately for them, it doesn't work that way. Uh, in the Big 12, uh, it's now a lame duck status the next couple of years, and we'll see how long that goes. I think it's probably not going to be as long as the contracts presently state. I want lame duck status for the two teams in the Red River shootout, uh, Oklahoma and Texas, but uh, I've got Oklahoma in one of their last years in the Big 12 uh, winning the conference, and again, as most people do, that's the chalk pick here. Most of the conference picks are chalk picks here. I think it takes until the Pac-12 for it to get even slightly kind of interesting as far as who's going to win, but uh, I've got Iowa State slotted right behind them, and similar to Indiana, that uh, this this is a a team that uh, has been on the rise the last couple of years, and this projects to be the best season yet out of that rise in the program. I've got Texas slotted right behind Oklahoma State, TCU, West Virginia. So it's an interesting year. The The, the Big 12 uh, has a lot more competitive games in conference than do a lot of conferences. Uh, and uh, again, Oklahoma, uh, Oklahoma may not be uh, as strong of a favorite in their conferences, Ohio State, Alabama, and Clemson are, not least of which because they always seem to lose a game or two that they shouldn't lose during the season. That's where Riley and Stoops have had a lot in common, right? That uh, you know, We talked about Georgia with underachieving, and for Oklahoma, they've taken that step up in, in the late years of the Stoops program, sort of reestablishing themselves, passing that on to Riley, but much like Georgia, they haven't been able to take the next step and be successful in the playoffs. Yeah, that's been the biggest problem. And this year, uh, a lot of people have them as getting to the Final Four, plus a couple people actually have them as possible winning. Yeah, and uh, most years, again, most years they're good enough on paper. There had been some questions defensively uh, a couple years back in the program when they were really getting blown out in the big games and uh, – They've tightened things up on that side of the ball. But, uh, yeah, it's one of the conferences where on any given weekend, uh, the games in conference, uh, and I I mentioned uh, that uh, at the top of the conference, my order was Oklahoma, Iowa State, Texas, Oklahoma State, TCU, West Virginia, and I've got Baylor slotted right behind them. Any games between any of those teams, really, projects to be pretty interesting. So it looks to be... Uh, one of the more intriguing conferences on a week-to-week basis as far as watching games uh, that, that should be really competitive and where either team could win. Yeah, I mean, the, I mean, the, 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 the Big 12 was always fun. The high-scoring shootout affairs, uh, Texas Tech, uh, Baylor, I mean, teams that like, that like to score, Rick. It's going to be, it's, I mean, Big 12 football is like watching a, a basketball game. That's true. Yeah, it, it has that ethos to it, and in many ways, it has that in common with the Pac-12. The Pac-12 has uh, long had uh, teams that have really been able to air it out successfully, uh, not least of which Oregon, who is my favorite in the North Division and who I do have winning the conference. Uh, in, in the North Division, I've got Oregon over Washington, Stanford, and then Cal. In, in the South Division, I've got USC with Arizona State, Utah, and UCLA nipping at them. And uh, so, again, uh, for the Pac-12, what it becomes is uh, a matter of not cannibalizing each other as they seem to do. It, it's and, and it's it, it, it's inexcusable really for the Pac-12 because again Alabama they play in the toughest conference, but year in and year out they seem to be able to find a way out of there. And in the Pac-12, 
whether it be Oregon, whether it be Washington the last couple of years, whoever's the favorite on paper really kind of struggles to make it out of the uh, conference unscathed. And uh, ultimately, uh, spoiler alert, I see this being yet another year where that's the case because I don't have Oregon as a playoff team. But uh, the Pac-12, again, like the Big 12, you get a lot of games where they air it out. You get a lot of interesting uh, results here, but uh, a lot of times uh, the bigger schools, the ones that you, you hope for as a Pac-12 fan, will represent your team in the playoffs, don't have a good enough record to make it there. Looking at record, week two, Oregon plays Ohio State. I don't see Oregon winning that game, but the thing is, if Oregon somehow loses that game in a close game and they and they finish the uh, rest of the season unscathed, they have a shot to make the final four. They do. Absolutely, if they can make it through the conference. But, see, part of it's been the last couple of years, and I go back to uh, it was an early season game, one of these September games uh, a couple of years back. It was either Oregon or Washington that ended up playing Clemson. I don't remember which game that was, but it was a big early or I'm sorry, maybe it was Auburn. And it was a big early season game, and the team lost. And it was like, well, okay, it's not even mid-September yet. We already know the Pac-12 is not going to be represented in the playoffs. So if Oregon loses to Ohio State, it could be deja vu because, again, at that point, if you're the Pac-12 commissioner, you got to be hoping that Washington can make it through unscathed or, or maybe USC can take that big step forward. And again, I think they can win the South Division, making it through the conference unscathed. I don't think they're good enough to be able to do that, not least of which, again, USC's got that game with Notre Dame looming non-conference. So, yes, the path to the, to the Pac-12 Sending a team to the playoff gets extraordinarily narrow if Oregon can't beat Ohio State. Yeah, that, that, that's, that's, that's going to be the biggest problem. But, uh, I, mean, I, mean, I mean, the thing is, the Pac-12, usually the, the, the conference champion has these two or three losses. That's, they lose teams that they're not supposed to um, lose to, and that's, and that's been the biggest problem with, with the Pac-12. Plus, in fact, uh, it's just, uh, I mean... Uh, they don't get the they, they don't get the exposure as far as on TVs because sometimes they have like, like ten thirty games a night. People are not watching them. That's true. Uh, people don't yeah pay enough attention to the uh, Pac twelve and do a lot of the interesting games that they have. There's no question about that. When we look at uh, the other conferences here, uh, a team that many people are high on uh, th- this year and uh, seems to be showing up uh, in a lot of top ten projections. Cincinnati and the AAC, I've got them as the uh, champions. In Conference USA, I look at uh, UAB coming out uh, in the MAC. This uh, was uh, a projection set before Frank Solich retired, but I'm staying with it. The Fighting Bobcats of Ohio as your MAC champions this year. The Mountain West champion, I've got Boise State. And in the Sun Belt, I've got Louisiana. Uh, all of those teams uh, would be jockeying for a spot in the uh, New Year's Six. Uh, games here. Of course, Cincinnati is the team, I think, at the beginning of the season that most are expecting would be able to find their way in there, Fran. Well, Cincinnati will find their way in there. I mean, even if they lose Notre Dame and uh, Indiana, because well, if, if, they, if they had two losses, I, I see them, I, I still see them um, being um, a group of five getting in there, but um, if if some if some reason um, they, they stumble more, if, if Boise State can uh, can beat Central Florida in week one, they might make a case toward, at the end of the season. I think so. And uh, in my projections for the uh, New Year's Six, I, I know we don't often tend to get uh, rematches, but I think it might be possible. I've got Notre Dame-Cincinnati in the Fiesta Bowl. 
Florida, Texas A&M in the Sugar Bowl, Georgia, Oregon in the Rose Bowl, and Iowa State, North Carolina in the uh, the Peach Bowl. And uh, again, that would be a pretty good slate of games for this year if that ended up happening. The New Year's Six games, again, uh, the, the non-playoff games struggle to get the attention, uh, but that that would be a pretty good field, those eight teams, if they end up making it in there. Yeah, and those games be fun to watch. And the thing is, uh, this year, the, this year, I, I believe Rick um, that the, uh, the that the final four playoff games are on New Year's Eve. Is that, is that correct? They are actually yes, and that is. I know they've tried to avoid that in recent years, but it is a deal where I think because. Uh, with uh, New Year's Eve, I believe, being a Friday, uh, that uh, they decided to kind of go back with that format. And I did notice that it looks like they're going to try and get the games in a little bit earlier. I think there is a little bit earlier start. Yeah, it is a Friday uh, because they don't want the last one running close up until midnight. It's really an issue where, uh, you know, everybody's watching there. You know, I know I'm dating myself by saying Dick Clark, New Year's Eve, but you know, people have got their things they want to watch uh, as the clock starts going towards midnight. And uh, college football, particularly if it's a blow-off, isn't one of a blowout isn't one of them. And the last time they did this, the one that got it moved off of New Year's Eve, wasn't that the uh, Cotton Bowl game where Alabama just beat the crap out of Michigan State? I think it was like thirty-eight to nothing, and everybody was tuned out by halftime. I think that was the game that that got them off of New Year's Eve. Yeah, and, and ESPN lost tons of money because of the low ratings. That entire thing where they were running the commercials that year, like, it's a new New Year's Eve tradition. You know, I'm, I'm just looking at it like, you know, there there are certain things in, in America that are just traditions that you are not going to be able to break. And people going out, I mean, obviously we're in a pandemic year, so people coming out just and doing things on New Year's Eve, much like last year, maybe a little bit different than usual, but... In your average year, Fran, it's a matter where people have their New Year's Eve plans. We're going to go do this. We're going to go do that. The notion of I'm going to stay home and watch it uh, on a place, or I'm going to hope that the place I'm going to for a party, you know, that 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 restaurant has a TV there where I can watch it. Uh, they're just really bucking against the tide there. Where uh, I know they felt like for scheduling purposes this year, it probably had to be New Year's Eve, but. I think they know what to expect after last time, and that being that you're going to struggle to get the, the kind of numbers you're looking for. Yes, I mean, unless it's on Saturday, you're going to struggle, Rick. I think so. And in uh, looking at it here, I'm going to guess uh, on the projections I have that the early game would be Alabama-Oklahoma uh, in the Orange Bowl because that's the one that I think would be thought to be less compelling because, again, in such games, Alabama usually wins over Oklahoma, and I have them doing so again. That means I would have the Cotton Bowl going on last. Ohio State, Clemson. I do have Ohio State beating Clemson again, as they did last year. National Championship, Alabama over Ohio State. So other than the fact that it's uh, Oklahoma in the uh, four playoff teams as opposed to uh, uh, you know the way it went last year, uh, to me, the more things change, the more they stay the same, Frank. It's all... It's becoming very top-heavy, and uh, one of these things here, as we uh, start to bring this around by taking a look forward, is that, uh, again, in the next couple of years, and like I said, I predict that uh, Oklahoma and Texas will be 
in the SEC earlier than is presently forecast because I think uh, everyone is going to decide it's in their best interest uh, to wrap up this lame duck period before the contract rolls all the way through. The notion now of this alliance, and we're only starting to get a sense of what that might be as it unfolds between uh, the Big Ten, the ACC, and uh, the Pac-12. Uh, so what are your thoughts on this, on what those co conferences can do collectively to ward off the encroaching power of the the SEC, which is getting bigger uh, than ever. Uh, it's kind of tough because they, they, they want to have an alliance. The problem is uh, scheduling is so far years and years and years in advance. It's going to be forever until they can get some get more intriguing non-conference matchups, Rick. Yeah, that's true, and that only really takes you so far. And uh, alliance, you go back to when it was the Bowl Championship Alliance. I mean. Every step along the way here, as far as how we've gotten to the playoff system that we had, I think it was the Bowl Alliance that started off at first. And it was a thing where eventually the BCS came around. When it's an alliance in college football, uh, that's a relatively weak-sounding word uh, a lot of times. And it really ends up being the case here because, it, 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 in a way, it's a weasel word. Like, what's it going to mean tangibly? And, uh, again... The, the, the ties that bind between the schools and the three conferences will cannot nearly be what the ties will be between teams under the common SEC governance. And, and the thing is, Rick, uh, are some of these schools going to want to play tough, tough non-conference matchups? They, they want to get in the playoffs. They're not going to want to... I mean, they, they may have one marquee game. Do they want more than that? I don't think so, Rick. Right. And it's a thing where... It's very, very interesting because the ACC, so long as they have Clemson, the Big Ten, so long as they have Ohio State, and that those teams remain in the positions that they are in, year in and year out, they're breathing easy. Everything goes according to form. They're going to be represented in the playoff at the end of the season here. The Pac-12 is the neediest team in this whole thing here, and it becomes things like, hey, guys, what can you do to help us get a conference champion in there? It's not in the interest of the other two conferences necessarily to make it easier for the Pac-12. I mean, it's not in their best interest to make it harder on them either necessarily, but they're all after different things here. And uh, for, the, for the Big Ten, which because of the reach of the Big Ten network and the amount of money that the schools have, uh, they're the second most powerful conference behind the SEC. So it, it almost kind of strikes me as like the other two schools trying to draft off the power of the Big Ten a little bit here and at a certain point, the Big Ten is bound to take a look at this and say, why is it in our best interest to do this as opposed to really potentially getting radical and maybe trying to raid the other conferences? Because I do have a projection in our Fantasy Football Draftology 2021 here of what the conferences might look like by 2025, and I do not rule out the notion of uh, the Big Ten trying to raid the Pac-12 at a certain point of the, the best uh, teams in there and creating like a Western pod, if you will. And that's clearly that's a thing that, that the Pac-12 is trying to uh, avoid by getting into bed with the Big Ten. Yeah, because Big Ten is a big, it's a big, a big, a big horse in the house. They're going to, I mean, they'll, they'll be calling all the shots. So it's going to, whatever favors now, whatever favors Ohio State, whatever favors Michigan, they're going to be, they're going to be the head, at the head table work. Well, they're going to be, and that's the thing where when you're looking at it, if you're the Big Ten, I mean, you look at it and you want to play nice with the other conferences now, but at the end of the day, the Big Ten Network, which is the big driver here, how much more money would all the schools make if the uh, Big Ten Network had a team in the Los Angeles market, in the Phoenix market, 
again, they're going to be looking at these kind of things here down the road. And uh, I predict that if the alliance implodes, the next thing that's going to happen is the Big Ten is going to make that aggressive and historic move on them. And uh, that that's the day everything really changes in college football on top of the seismic changes we've already seen thus far. Yeah, I definitely agree, Rick. It's, 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 it's going to be a fun college football season. I'm looking forward to it. I mean, it's going to be it's going to be a lot of fun just to have games and bounce around. What I tend to do, Rick, is I tend to watch if I'm home, if I'm not working, I'll, um, I'll watch the game, and then when it gets close, I'll throw in on it. That's how I follow college football a lot of the weekends. That's the great thing about it is that yeah, there is so much there. You can kind of use it for background when you're not uh, closely watching. You can closely watch when there's something worth closely watching. Uh, uh, it's been, uh, of course, as always, a great conversation with you, Fran. Any uh, any additional thoughts on the upcoming season from you that we didn't get to? Uh, I'm looking forward to it. But one, one, one point I want to make, um, his name, image, and likeness, so the players are saying, Rick, the better they play, the more they get paid. So do you think, it's, do you think this is going to be a distraction? I don't think it is because they're, they're going to be encouraged to, to play well and perform because if, you, if they have a good season, they can make more money. Players. Yeah, and uh, you're now going to have uh, outside forces coming into play, uh, boosters being even more powerful than usual, because as we covered on our previous segment here together talking about this subject, that uh, it's a legal way to funnel money to them. Even if your business is one that doesn't require sponsorship, you can still funnel money to a player like, well, he's advertising for our business. So you're going to have the voices from the outside coming in that much louder than usual. Coaches like Saban, Sweeney, Ryan Day, they're still going to have carte blanche at their own programs. But everybody else, it seems like, maybe Lincoln Riley will be exempt from this, but at every other program, uh, these outside forces with the money are going to be something the coaches are going to have to listen to more than ever. Yeah, I definitely agree. I'm so happy to see Malik Orso back on college game day in person. 86 years old. God bless him. I love seeing him doing his head here slash at the end of the show. He was wrong this week and he's wrong a lot of times because we does not here. But uh I mean God bless the 86 he, he he has so much passion and energy. I love I love football when he's on college football. I agree and uh you know and that's the thing, Fran, is that in sports T V programming there are so few things out there that are, are just reminders of, you know, stuff that we grew up on and have enjoyed watching and everything. Like in, in college football, it, it's long since been Keith Jackson has been off the scene uh, and is even deceased at this point here. So uh, in any sport, uh, you know, Vince Scully retiring in baseball in recent years, you don't have a lot of these things left. Uh, John Madden has been off the NFL for a good long period of time. So when you have something like Lee Corso on college football still, it is something to be appreciated and cherished because, again, you don't know how long it's going to continue to be the case. I hope he can still do it well into his 90s, and it'll be awesome if he can. But uh, awesome, as I say, is always the word for our college football discussions. Fran Stuckberry from our Sports Central, thank you so much for your time, my friend. Thanks, Rick. Um, round is always a little Yes, thank you, and uh, it's always a pleasure to have you on the show, buddy, and thank you, everybody, for tuning in to FDH Lounge Mini, episode 1374.